Welcome to Experience Junkies. On this show, I spotlight meeting and event professionals, global travelers, jet setters, and more to relive the moments we never want to forget. More importantly, we'll attempt as best we can to transport listeners to transformational points in our lives, sharing our observations and emotions behind these stories. By diving into the indelible impact these experiences have had on us, we decode small takeaways about how to be better humans than we were yesterday. Hey there, experienced junkies. You are in for a treat with today's episode. Today I'm joined by Katrina McGee. She's a career coach and a sabbatical counselor, and she helps women and others navigate taking gaps in your career. Our conversation talks about her 20-month sabbatical where she traveled throughout the U.S., South America, and Southeast Asia, as well as Europe. But also, by the end of the conversation, it became a part motivational session slash free coaching session. So Katrina drops so much knowledge, so many good tips for just motivation, how to get out of your own way and go after the goals that you have set before you. So sit back, relax, and take a listen to my interview with Katrina McGee. Welcome back to another episode of Experience Junkies. I am joined today with Katrina McGee. We met in a Facebook group and she told me about an experience that she had and I knew I had to have her on the show to talk about this a little bit more. Um, Katrina is a career coach and counselor and she works with women. So uh, Katrina, it's so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. So go ahead and take a second to tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I am a career break and sabbatical coach, which means that I help people leave their jobs to do amazing things like travel around the world, write a book, take the time they need to heal, recover from burnout, but basically claim space and take the break that they are really needing and wanting to take. And, you know, that reflects very much my own personal journey. So I have, you know, about 16 years of experience in corporate America. I I went back halfway through and got my MBA. In my second career, I just was really faced with a truth I think I had been running away from in my first career, which is that corporate America was not for me and that lifestyle was not for me. And so eventually I hit a hard moment where I just felt like I didn't know how to create a change. I didn't know what that change would look like. All I knew was that I needed a change. And so I hired a life coach back in 2011 and she worked with me to really just like let go of all of my expectations of myself and what I thought I should be doing. And I realized I wanted to take a break and travel around the world. And so that's what I did. I saved $40,000 in 18 months. I left my job and I traveled around the world for about 20 months came back, paid off my debt as fast as I could, working another um, and different corporate job, and then got certified as a life coach and sort of began my business on the side and then grew it into a full-time thing, which is where I am today. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. What I was thinking as you were kind of giving your backstory is you kind of had your great awakening that a lot of people are dealing with now due to the pandemic about 10 years (laughs) before the rest of us. So you were kind of ahead of the curve there, if you will. So talk about kind of what prompted you to know corporate America wasn't for you. And then that, that discussion that got you to the point where you realized, as you said, you were living a life that you thought you had to live and not necessarily the thought that the life that you wanted to. Yeah. So, you know, I think 
I think it's it's been a sort of a, a duality in my experience in that I have a lot of gratitude for the journey that I did take. And it afforded me so many opportunities that, you know, my parents couldn't have, you know, weren't able to offer that I didn't get to experience as a kid. Like I went out and I made good money and I had job security and I was able to live in a, in a city. You know, I moved to Atlanta for eight years and it was the most fantastic thing to be able to access all of those opportunities I felt like were beyond my reach as a kid growing up. But there was so much misalignment in the choices I was making in my journey. And so, you know, a lot of the why behind it was trying to prove, right, that I, I was someone that was successful and I could excel. And I didn't even know at what, just what it, whatever people wanted me to excel at to be successful, right? And so I think unchecked, my goals were oftentimes driven by some external validation or sort of like a, a guidepost of what was working for other people over there versus what was going to work for me. And so, you know, I think I tried to course correct when I went to get my MBA and I ended up feeling worse in that second, you know, that second job because it was more corporate. Yeah. It wasn't even necessarily the company. It was just a more corporate environment. And I think what became painfully clear is that corporate isn't working for me, but literally the only two spheres I knew about, I could become a corporate person doing a different job or I could go into nonprofit. It's like, that's all my brain was open to at the time. And it was like, that's right. really limiting. And it's so not true. I mean, there are a million things I could do. And I know that now, but I didn't know that then. And so it was like this point of desperation when someone that I knew um, at work heard my story and was just like, listen, I have a friend who's a life coach. Do you want to talk to her? And I was like, oh my God, yes, I do. I don't know what to do. I need someone to help me. Yes, I do. And so, right. you know, I met with the life coach and it was like, we clicked right away. And I was like, I feel like this is going to help. And it sure enough did. And I remember it took about six months of working with her, you know, like almost every week to have the, the awareness of how much I just wanted to take a break and to travel. I think that is something I mm. never would have been able to give myself permission to do unless I had hit like either a mental breakdown or, you know, had some like huge devastating loss in life. I don't think I could have been the person that planned that on my own, but it was just this awareness of, gosh, when you take it all away and I give myself full permission to do anything, I just want to see the world. And so it really, I, I had this epiphany sort of sitting on her couch, having a conversation with her. And this voice inside me was just like, you don't want a third career right now. You just want to right. quit your job and travel around the world. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds scary, but it was my <laughs> truth. And so I just had to figure out how to make that happen. I feel like this is, this is why we connected so quickly because I feel like you were speaking my language. I like that you talked about, you addressed kind of the privilege that, um, that you had a position that was paying really well, did have good benefits and, you know, you didn't have to worry about getting your next meal. So you're in a different place than someone that maybe, you know, has to work to survive. So I love that you mentioned that, but also what kind of got you to that place was your background and, and needing to prove something. And, and because of your motivations, you found yourself in a situation that you didn't necessarily want to be in, but you didn't even have awareness of that. You just knew something felt wrong, but you couldn't even put your finger onto what was wrong. So I love the kind of that journey of realizing what have I been telling myself subconsciously all this time? And what if that is even true? Like you said, you know, in your mind, there's only two job options for you, but in reality, anything was <laughs> available to you. So I totally understand that because that's kind of where I was a year ago or so, you know, I went independent, but all the way leading up to that, I was like, well, I can't quit my job. And, and then I had to sit with the, well, why? And why are you telling yourself that you can't do that? So I love that you addressed the fact that we'll tell ourselves these things 
just because it's either things that, you know, family or friends have told us, society has told us, and they're not necessarily what our heart is telling us or where our motives and everything lie. So getting to the root of it, I think is, is great that you kind of got there before you went on this journey. There are some people that will go nomad or go out, you know, embark on all these things. And those motives might be wrong too, but honestly, that was your motive. So can you talk about once you kind of had that epiphany, Mm -hmm. what were the logistics you had to go through to even make it happen? Yeah. And I just, I want to, I want to like underscore 14 times what you just said about, you know, if (laughs) if you're not doing that work before, like your break is not magically going to fix you. That travel is not magically going to make it make sense. You're going to have a great time and you're going to learn stuff, but you can't shortcut the work, right. To really get clear on what you want and need. And I just think like, that is so, so important. You know, as far as, you know, for me, once I had that realization and it was time to like make that happen and put it into practice, it was really figuring out my finances. So I only had $1,500 in my bank account and I knew taking a break the one, the way I wanted to was going to cost a lot of money. I was guessing about 40, 38 to $40,000. And so I had to like really change my relationship with money. I had to really be willing to look at what I was currently doing with my money. What were my choices aligned with the life I wanted to live or were they again, subconscious behaviors I had just sort of adapted to over time. And I had to change a lot of things. Um, but I did so in a way that still made life feel good, right? It wasn't solely about deprivation and cutting myself off from the world, but I really had to get my finances in order and to, to find that, you know, financial freedom. But in addition to that, it was getting really clear and doing the work to figure out what do I need this experience to give me to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And that I think is so critical. That is like one of the few things I consistently do for every client that ever passes through, you know, my door is setting that intention because as you were saying, right, like doing anything amazing, but without really understanding why you're doing it, you're, you're still going to be left with those questions. And so I want to help people construct a break that gives you exactly what you need, which is what I did. And so I made it fun, right? I think that's the other thing is we can make anything feel like work if we get obsessive about it. So I kept it fun as much as I could. And I really got clear on like, what do I need this experience to be? And I just designed a break that fit me. And then I just started making plans, right? Like I've got to sell my stuff, you know, I've got to like make sure my money is on track. I've got to like think about when I'm going international, do I have my visas? Do I have my immunizations and all of those things, you know, but sort of taking it one step at a time, because there is a lot to think about when you're planning for a break. Excellent. I, I, I really resonate with the fact that you said setting your intentions. So this show is all about experience junkies. We're people that we love curating experiences, consuming them, and then kind of reflecting on what they've taught us and what we've learned. But how often are we just jumping out and just trying to oh, I want to go on a trip or, oh, let's go out to eat this weekend or, oh, like, and, and we're letting our life kind of just fall before us, before us, as opposed to like really setting intentions with not just our day-to-day life, but the experiences that we want to curate and consume. So it's important that you mention that, like, what are the intentions? What are the goal? What do I need from this experience? That question that you, that you posed was really kind of key. I, I loved that. And, and what would you say, from your, you know, your 20 month sabbatical, let's kind of rewind too. I feel like we've kind of glossed over that. You went on a 20 month sabbatical, almost two years. Give some context on how many places you went and were you more of like a slow traveler or were you like a jet setter, different city every week? 
Yeah, I definitely mixed it up. And I think that's a theme of my life is I have so much more gratitude and appreciation for things when there's a contrast, right? Like sometimes if you're staying in a Mm. hostel, but you're used to staying in hotels, it can feel so nice to be around people and to effortlessly be able to find a tour group or have a dinner, you know, like a dinner party or like be in the middle of the city and just have people to go with. But then if you spend a lot of time in hostels, you're like, oh my God, I need my privacy. And why am I sharing a bathroom with four people? Right. So I find the (laughs) contrast can create so much appreciation and so much joy. And so, you know, that has been true for me in many ways, including the slow travel mixed with the jet setting. So, you know, there was a point in my break where I lived in Argentina in Buenos Aires for a month. I rented an Airbnb for a month. And my goal was like, just to know how does it feel to be a local in the city? What does the city have to show me if I'm here with no agenda? And so that was amazing, right? But then I went to Europe and there were some locations where I was there for like two or three days, like in San Sebastian, Spain, just eating as much food as I could and getting in as fast as I could. And being like, I'm just here <laughs> to eat. Pomone, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just to like shove it all in and get it. You know, so it's food was so good, but you know, and then, but then I was in the South of France in Provence and I fell in love with Avignon and I decided to stay for two weeks and it's a tiny town, but I could spend two weeks eating and strolling and doing all the things. So I think I was very much willing to mix it up so that I wasn't like burning myself out, but I also was seeing a lot of things. And, you know, as far as places I went, there were a lot. So I did a three month road trip through the U S I did a gigantic circle, uh, before I started my international travel. And then internationally, you know, I hit up Colombia and Argentina, and then I flew to Europe and spent some time there basically in, um, Spain, France, and Italy. And then I did Southeast Asia for about three and a half months. So I was all over, all over, uh, Southeast Asia for that time. And that was fantastic. It was my first time, you know, in Southeast Asia or Asia in general. So it was really uh, special. Yeah. And, and here's the thing you did this, what, 10 years ago, 2011. So I did. Yeah. I took my break in 2013. Yeah. But almost 10 years ago. Okay. 2013. So we didn't have some of the tools that we have today. How did you get around (laughs) with, you know, all those language barriers, uh, especially Southeast Asia? How, How was that for you? Yeah, I love that you pointed this out because I think it's like, I feel very proud of this fact because I'm like, Instagram wasn't a thing. There were no like, there were no inspo boards, you know what I mean? Of like places you just had to figure the stuff out. Like Uber wasn't a thing. Like there were just so much that was different. But I think the thing is, or even like Google Translate, was that? Oh, yeah, that wasn't. I don't think so. That was not, no, 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 no. That was not a thing. So tell me how you did that. Yeah. So, you know, I do speak some Spanish. I'm not fluent, but I do speak some. So that really helped in Colombia. That really helped in Argentina. Europe, you know, is it's kind of the same. Like Europe is like, you can, you can make it by, sometimes people don't understand you, but you mime things out and there's a lot of tourists. They'll figure it out. Southeast Asia was a big surprise. So I actually struggled more to be understood in Argentina than I did in Southeast Asia. And that is because, you know, at that time, what I can say was true then is that there on the tourist trail, right? So I, I wasn't like going super off the beaten trail. Like I was in Singapore gotcha. and I was in Penang, Malaysia, and I was in um, Bangkok and Chiang Mai, right? So they weren't super off the beaten path. They knew enough English right. to sell things, right? Or to have some type of transaction so that they could understand. And so I, I might not be able to have a chat, like a full chat, but like we could communicate yeah. enough to like get needs met. And so that was actually pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. You know, the hotels and the hostels I stayed at, they were really good about helping me figure out how to get somewhere if I didn't know. And I did have Google Maps. So Google Maps was really helpful. I would use it in the, because I didn't have like data or anything, but I would use it in the hostel or the hotel to like pre-map 
the area and then I could mm. use it kind of as a as a map to get where I was going. But I actually didn't struggle too much. But there's a lot of miming and there's a lot of just awkwardness, right? Sometimes people won't know and you just are okay with that. And you're like miming like eating or, you know, miming like I need to find, you know, it's just you figure it out. And so I figured it out. But yeah, it was it was not as easy as it is now. Hello, experience junkies. Thanks for listening to the show. If you are in need of a show host, an event MC, a panel moderator or speaker, feel free to contact me at Deanna at DeannaCamille.com for more information. I would love to come to your show, your event, or your experience and help set the tone with the emotions and objectives your organization has for your guests. Reach out today for more information on how you can bring the experience junkies vibe to your next engagement. Okay, so I'm going to have give you like a two-part question. And uh, I think one, for any women who are out there, I know this was probably me 10, 15 years ago, the idea of solo travel, especially internationally as a woman traveling alone, just is really kind of overwhelming. So I think that's just a barrier for many women. So kind of talk about that, how you kind of manage that as a solo woman traveler. But then part two is just in general, some of the barriers that what are the barriers you think many people keep them from either doing a long sabbatical, being a digital nomad, traveling more? What are the things you think people tell themselves that prevent them from trying? Yeah, so good. Okay, so solo female travel, you know, just for context, I had never traveled abroad or used my passport until I was 29. And I took this break when I was about 32, um, 33. So I didn't have an extensive roster of travel period, let alone solo travel. But I think what's true is my desire was bigger than my fear. And I think that's so important is to cultivate and like fan the flames of your desire so that it is bigger than your fear, so that you are willing to do uncomfortable things to find a way. And so that, you know, is kind of what I did. And I can say my experience was fantastic, right? Luckily, I didn't have anything, you know, bad happen to me on this trip. I know that sometimes, you know, things can happen. They can happen to anyone. But I was really careful, uh, you know, where I was going at night, especially I would pay more to stay in a, a better part of the city. Like I wasn't trying to stay in the cheapest part, you know, if it didn't feel safe. I would sometimes ask the host of the um, hostel or the hotel if I was going to walk somewhere or go somewhere. I would say, like, can I walk through these neighborhoods? Like, this is where I'm going. Is that safe? So I was taking some precaution as far as not trying to put myself right. in a dangerous position, but mm -hmm. you know, to me that, that risk, the small risk was worth, was worth the price, right? Like I was, I was willing because I thought my, my odds were low of having bad things happen. I was like willing to figure it out. And I think, you know, mm. making friends with people again, like, you know, utilizing the resources of people that care. I was so shocked um, and astounded, but like heartwarmed by the amount of people that were invested in my safety. So if I'm on public transit in Vietnam or in Thailand and someone is like miming, like under your purse, like keep your purse under your arm, girl, what are you doing? You know, wow. like they were trying to keep me <laughs> safe and like worrying about me. And they might ask me where I'm going. And if I look lost, like they wanted to like walk me to the place that I'm going and, and not like in a scammy way. It was just like in a general caring, like this young woman is by herself. So I'm going to exert, you know, like a little extra effort to make sure she's all right. That really blew me right. away. And that was one of the most amazing things from my experience was just seeing all that kindness reflected back to me, especially, you know, like you said, not really having done that before and being a solo female traveler. As far as barriers go in general, you know, I think 
gosh, can that status quo be so comfortable? It's really hard to leave the bubble, you know? And like I said, you have to, you either have to be in a desperate place where your life is so painful and so terrible that you will do anything to like change it, or you have to be burning mm -hmm. with desire, you know? And I think hiring a coach or working with someone or surrounding yourself with mentors or people that have done it can really like push you off of that ledge and help guide you without it having to be so extreme. But ultimately, right, like the fear of, like being uncomfortable and the unknown right. and just being overwhelmed with the how. A lot of times when we want to do something and we don't know how to do it, it's like, I need to know how. I need to research it. I need to ask a million people. I need to write down a notebook worth of facts. I need to know the how before I can do it. And it's like, you're never actually going to know the how because when you try to do it, it's going right. to be different, you know? But it's it's a thing mm -hmm. I think we want to like fall back on for safety and security and feel a sense of certainty. And then specifically with sabbaticals, you know, it's that career sacrifice. Who am I if I'm not a dentist, a lawyer, a market, you know, a marketer? Like, who am I? Uh, mixed with worrying about what other people will think, that I'm lazy, that I fell off, you right. know, like fell off and couldn't hack it or hang, you know, hang with everyone. And then also worrying about their progress. Like, what will this mean for my career trajectory? If I get off the hamster wheel, will I ever be able to get back on? And like, have I lost all chance of any getting, ever getting a promotion, you know? You just dropped so much in that little snippet. I was like trying to keep track of all the little quotables that you just offered. But what I loved most is that you talked about your desire was bigger than your fear. And that was how you, you challenged it. And I think it's a great parallel to how people can just look at any kind of dream or goal or uh, obstacle in front of you in your life. Like, yes, it's scary to do the thing, but do you want it? And how much do you want it? Is your desire bigger than your fear of the process or your fear of failure or whatever that may look like? Um, so I, I love that. But then also you talked kind of about like community and people looking out for you, even though they were strangers and you were in a different land and they, they wanted to kind of take care of you in a sense. Was there anyone you met along this adventure that really had a lasting impact on you? And, and talk about that. Yeah. So there were so many, but I think, I think favorites, if I'm going to give you like a couple quick favorites, you know, there was, I, I talk about this sometimes, but there, there was an old man and there were these two younger girls on a bus to Vietnam. Um, I was going from Dalat, like a mountain town into Ho Chi Minh. Mm -hmm. And I was the only person knowing like Westerner, like obvious, like non-Asian person on the bus. And I didn't speak Vietnamese. Right. All the announcements where we were going, is this a restroom stop? Is this an unofficial stop for a friend? Is this like, I mean, there's like, <laughs> like there are no rules. I had no idea where we right. were. And I was like, I just pray I get <laughs> off this bus at the right place. Like, I don't know what to do about this. And there was this old man that didn't speak English, but, uh, I like mimed having to go to the bathroom because at some point on this bus ride, the bus stopped and I had to pee. I thought my bladder was going to burst. And so he was standing smoking at like the front. He'd gotten off the bus and I like mimed like this like potty dance. Like I got to go to the bathroom and he like <laughs> the universal potty dance, yeah, right? Just potty dance. Yeah. He like pointed to like where to go and he like mimed like running and he was like talking to the bus driver, making sure the bus driver waited. And he was like, you know, but he waited for me at, outside the bus to make sure I made it back on the bus, which I really appreciated. And then the two younger women at the lunch stop, they were waiting for me and they were like, you speak English? And they spoke like broken English, but it was so much better, obviously, than my Vietnamese. And they were like, right. we want to practice. Can we have lunch with you? And I'm like, yes, you can have lunch with me. This is amazing. And then they like, well, can we order for you? And I'm like, yes, you can order for me. And then they were like, can we, we're going to buy your lunch. And I'm like, what? But it was just their kindness, like 
literally reverberates through me, you know, to this day. And then also when you talk about the magic of meeting strangers, my Airbnb host, this is back in like 2013, 2014, he uh, somehow was like involved with Bitcoin and he, you know, was just oh, like wow. working <laughs> like directly, not for Bitcoin, but directly with Bitcoin was like surrounding his job. And I remember him telling me 45 times in that month that I lived in his Airbnb, you need to get into Bitcoin. And I'm like, that is a stupid scam. And no, I won't. And so I never did. I never did, sadly. But Bitcoin was $500 a coin at that time. And I often think about right. Yokeen and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking? I could be if so I just rich. Get two. I know, right? If I just have two, I would be so good. So, you know, like you meet really interesting people that, um, that are involved in really interesting opportunities. And so, you know, there's that. And then I made two really great friends with guys uh, that were from the Czech Republic in Vietnam. And we ended up traveling together for two and a half weeks. And then five years later, I went to Prague to visit them and we like had a great adventure. And so, you know, I've met some really amazing people on my travels that have like touched me in ways that I still think of that and remember that so fondly. That's definitely a benefit of solo travel too, because you're going to be more likely to meet other people. Other people are going to be more likely to approach you because, you know, other solo travelers. So that's what I find is a benefit is when I'm in a group, it's great because, you know, you're, you're experiencing it with your friends and family, but you're not as going to be as likely to meet people. Whereas when you're solo, yeah, you can experience everything on your own and do things like by yourself and be in your own skin, but other people will want to talk to you because they'll notice that you're yeah. And you're uncomfortable, right? So I think you welcome that connection much more, you know, much more so than when you're safe in your bubble with your people. And it's like, you're having a great conversation with your people, but as a solo person, I think you're always energetically like inviting good connection in like, you know, I would love to talk to someone now. So, so you had a 20 month journey on, you know, around the U S South America, over to Europe, Southeast Asia, and then you come back home, walk us through kind of how that transition felt. I know um, it's something that uh, there's a term for it for like expats that like rejoin society, but how was it coming back home? And yeah. what did that transition look like for you going back into the workforce? Yeah. So I definitely, it was really easy and it was really awful all at the same time. So I think, you know, what you're referring to <laughs> is like that reverse culture shock. And that is 100% mm -hmm. what I had. I had it. I was cranky. I was like, I mean, just so many things. Like I talk about this, you know, sometimes, but just the proportion side of our size of our food after living in Europe for a while. And then especially Southeast Asia, where it's like, you're getting street food in small portions. And it was just like, why do I have to have a salad that's bigger than my face? Why do you know what I mean? Right. Just like these things that you're just like, why do we do it this way? But it's normal. And you're not even like thinking or conscious about it when you live here. But, but when you come back, it's like, you're sort of a stranger in your home. And so I think it can take a while, you know, and then there are the the really like just sort of like behavioral things. I was used to traveling. I wasn't used to like having a home where I had to think about things like dusting and vacuuming and cleaning. I was right. you know, moving from place mm -hmm. to place and paying people to do my laundry. And that was my normal and getting food like on a street corner at, a, at 10 o'clock at night for $4 was normal. And you can't really do that here. You have to commit to like a big meal or make it yourself. And so mm -hmm. it was just such a different, you know, like in so many ways, it was just really different. And I think you know, even cars versus walking and like having cities full of people and, and public transit. And so 
it definitely was reverse culture shock and I was really cranky and I was kind of angry in a way I couldn't express. I couldn't even really articulate it because I was happy to be back, but it was like, there was a part of me that was just so resistant to like my break being over and like to going back to the way things were. And it was like, well, I'm different now, Mm -hmm. but like, this is the same. And so there was a lot of emotional, like constipation that had to like come out. Emotional constipation. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's just like a like, stuck emotions that didn't feel so good. And they just had to kind of like come out. And it took probably like three weeks of just being in my feelings to like really let that go. But the easy part was once I did let it go and once I got clear on what I wanted my next step to be, which was going back into corporate life to specifically pay off my debt as fast as I could, that process was so easy. You know, I got my resume together and from the moment I hit send and just put it, you know, out into the world and started posting I got five job offers in just five weeks. And so that transition back, you know, part of why I didn't want to take a break is because it's like, well, what's going to happen to me after the money is gone, after my break is over, which I think is a huge fear for a lot of people, understandably so. But in my experience, and I have to say most of my clients, that process is seamless. Like, you know, whether people are coming to you before your break is even over, asking you to do like a special project or asking you to come back, you know, to, to an old job or a new mm-hmm. job with like an old manager or just like me applying for jobs and people being really excited to talk to you because you are excited about your break and you have the right mindset to share that story without shame and without self-doubt. Right. You know, that transition back was so much easier than I ever thought it would be. It's key that you pointed out, like framing the story that you're telling. I, I think it's true that especially now post pandemic during pandemic, however you want to phrase that like career breaks are going to be widely more accepted because of everything everyone's been through, but yeah, how you're framing it, like people receive the energy that you put out. So if you come to the table, like, Oh, well, you know, I I took a break and you're like coming apologetic as opposed to owning. Yes. I wanted to have this experience. You only live once. um, And I was really responsible in making sure that my responsibilities were handled, but I could still go out and enjoy life. And now I'm going to bring back all those things I've learned. Like I'm a very worldly person. I've, I've learned a lot of culture by immersion and I can bring that to your company, right? Like framing that conversation so that you kind of own the narrative as opposed to it being a, Oh, well, how, how will I (laughs) approach talking to people about this? And also, kind of that abundance mindset of knowing that, okay, just because there, there probably are employers out there that may not like to see that that's fine, but there's probably way more that, that do might are, are excited to see people with gaps and that are coming back in the workforce and want to work with people that take sabbaticals and things of that nature. More companies are starting to offer sabbaticals. So I love that you mentioned kind of like the framework of how you approach the search, how you talk about your break. I just think it's, it's key to just own your story because it's yours regardless of what other people think of it. So if you just have that conviction about it, that will read in the energy that you're giving off to others. Amen. I just want to say you are dropping golden nuggets right now. And like, this is literally what I (laughs) preach to all of my, all of my clients and anyone who talks to me, you like your energy determines how they receive you, right? Like they might have some prejudice about the idea of a break going into the conversation, but so much of how that conversation goes is determined by how you show up to that conversation. So if you are like, I am a badass, I follow my heart. I am super authentic. I did some crazy stuff that was like really not easy to do. 
I flexed my courage muscle. I learned a lot and I came back and I want to work for you. That is so much more powerful than please don't ask me about my break. Can we just talk about my, my boring work experience? I really want to skip over this. I have a lot of shame about it. I'm not sure why I did it. Like infinitely like different night and day. And so I love what you said. And I, you know, I think that is something to really like drive home because ultimately in so many instances in our life, right? Like our energy is everything and people receive that. And so we get to dictate the narrative of the story that we're telling. I hope the energy that the listeners get from this episode is just, you know, own your narrative. And if a career break for you is for you or sabbatical is something that maybe you thought about and didn't think it was possible, maybe just research what the options are and, and maybe tap into that a little bit more and realize there may be a whole plethora of options available to you that you're not even aware of. So this has been an amazing conversation, Katrina. You've been awesome. Um, just got one more question that I ask all the guests and I hope I don't catch you off guard with it. But if you had to pick a song to convey this experience of your, you know, career break, your sabbatical, especially your time traveling, what would that song be and why? Yeah. So to really signify like this particular time in my life, uh, the song that would go with that would be Ends of the Earth by Lord Huron. And, you know, it's it's really like a person that is seeking and, and really fulfilling that sense of wanderlust and wanting to travel to the ends of the earth and really putting that, you know, as the priority. And I feel like where I was in that moment and what that represented to me was me just full unabashedly like indulging that wanderlust I think I'd had even as a child and just tasting freedom in a way I had never really been able to taste it before. Oh, wow. Wanderlust, tasting it in a way you can never taste it before. You are very good with words. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I think you have, a, I think you have a second uh, career lifestyle as a writer uh, coming up in your future. So I'm going to put that into the universe. For I love it. Yeah. We'll put that into the universe. <laughs> so before we sign off, tell the people where they can find you on the interwebs. Yes. So you can find me on my website, which is www.bestbreakever.com. Or you can find me at K McGee Coaching for Instagram. I show up there. I share a lot there. You can always DM me, ask me questions, just follow along. Um, so that's K-M-C-G-H-E-E -E Coaching. Best break ever. Like how, how could you forget that website? I'm going right? to follow it like that. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Katrina and I hope everyone comes and follows you on Instagram, checks out what you have to offer because yeah, I think a career break, a sabbatical, um, it's more in reach for more people than they realize. So hopefully if it, nothing else people take away from today, they get that small nugget. I love it. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was really, really awesome to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Experience Junkies podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify so that other listeners can find the show. Be sure to join our Discord channel. This is a great place for you to give feedback, talk with me, talk with our guests and other listeners, and share your experience junkie tales. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of your day.